I want you to know I consider it a great blessing to stand before you tonight. It's my prayer that you'll be edified and uplifted by being here. I want to thank Brother D for his prayer on my behalf. I hope that you gain strength from the lesson as I have gained it by putting it together. This evening I'd like to begin in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. I will not have a PowerPoint this evening, so if you would, get your Bibles, and I'll be reading them from the New King James Version this evening. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, being heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. As the Hebrew writer points out here, the story of Noah is one of great faith. Think about that for a moment. He moved with fear for a hundred years, building an ark to the saving of his household. If we examine Genesis chapter 6, we clearly see how great a task this was for Noah in that time. God told Noah the length of the ark was to be, about thir- was to be 300 cubits. Today in our measure of length, that's over 450 feet. The length alone shows us how great a task that was for Noah and his family. We find that in the New Testament there is something that is similar to the ark, something that took a great undertaking and it took a great task to build. And it was planned from the very foundation of the earth. It was something that was built by Christ and purchased with His very blood. The Bible says it is the manifold wisdom of God, or the full display of God's wisdom. And that something is the church. You know, the Bible is full of parables, of metaphors, of allegories, of imagery, and of teachings that help us to fully understand the message that God is trying to convey to us, His children. I believe the comparison of the ark and the church is one that helps us to understand just how important the church is and should be to each and every one of us today. There's many similarities between Noah's ark and the church that Christ built. I'd like to examine some of those with you this evening, tonight. First, we find that there was only one ark. Now, if you look at people that have done research and try to search out what was going on at the time of the flood, and there was 2,000 years of history that had happened from the time that Adam and Eve were in the garden to the time that Noah built the ark. Now, I've seen estimates of over 100 million people on the earth at that time. You know, it's, it would stand to reason that there were other seagoing vessels at that time. People that maybe made a living fishing or being on the sea. There were probably people in those vessels at the time that the earth was flooded by the waters. But we see that no other ship saved the people in them except the one that was built based on God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 says, When the divine long... When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Eight people out of the vast numbers of people that were on the earth at that time. Similarly, there is only one church that we find in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Christ speaking says, And I say also... 
And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, singular, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The Apostle Paul confirms the singularity of Christ's church in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, where he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And he defines that one body in the letter of Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. And he said, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Christ is the head of His church. That church that He said was going to be built upon that confession of Peter that He is the Christ, the Son of God. You know, many in the world today, even in Christianity, do not accept this. And they like to think that everybody is on different paths going to the same place. We have different beliefs, different faiths, but yet we're going to the same place. But let's look at the example of Noah. He could have tried to find his own way. He could have done it another way. But I ask you, if he had, would he have been saved? Would his vessel have been good enough to withstand what God would send upon the earth? The fact of the matter is that he didn't try a different way because he believed God's way was the only way that would work. He understood that the ark was the only way that he and his household could be saved. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5 goes on to say there is one faith or one common belief for that one body. Noah could have tried his own way, but if he had, he would have drowned along with everyone else. Second, we find that there was just one door on the ark. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 16 says, You shall make a window for the ark. And you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. The church also has one door or way of entry today. That door is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's very simple. Simple. There is one door in Jesus, is it? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 tells us how we enter through the door which is Christ. Galatians 3, 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when we are baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. We come into the household of faith. Therefore, if we're not baptized into Christ then we're trying to enter in to the fold in some other way, which is not Christ, which is not the door that God has provided for us. The Apostle Peter confirms this mode of salvation, and he also compares it to how Noah was saved in his family during the flood. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18-21, through 21. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, by which also He went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism. 
not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The culminating act of the plan of salvation is submitting to baptism, contacting the blood of Christ in His death. Simply put, if someone tells you you can enter the fold of Christ in any other way, that's like somebody saying you could enter the ark any other way than the door that was in the side. It just isn't true. As we saw in Genesis chapter 6, there was one door, there was one ark, and there was one window in that ark. It was the only light source for that ark. The church also has one light source or one authority today, and that being the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If the Scripture given by the inspiration of God is able to be profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, and to make the hearer thereof and the doer thereof complete and able to do everything he needs to do, why do we need something else along with the Bible for guidance? The answer is we don't. All we have is what we have in the Bible. All that we need is what we have in the Bible. The fact is, when people try to add to the Bible, they're trying to make a different gospel. They're trying to make something different than the plans that God has set forth to us. And Paul told the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. He says, even if an angel from heaven comes to you and tells you, I can save you some other way, he said, let them be accursed. That's not, there's not another way into the ark of safety. This should also be a warning to us that we should not follow anything but God's Word. You know, men will try to condense God's Word and put it into something that's simpler or easier to understand. We need to be wary of that. You know, when men make creed books so that they can run their church as they see fit, it's simply that. It's their church. It's a man's concoction. And it's not what Christ set up and bought with His blood. If we look to the New Testament for our only source of light and of authority for the way the church is run, then and only then will that church be Christ's church. And we will have God with us since we abide in the doctrine of Christ. 2 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Again, there's only one door. There's only way, one way in, and that is through Christ. So I, I hope that you can see tonight the singularity that there was in the ark during the times of Noah and the singularity that there is today in the time of the church. There was one ark. There is one church, one body. There was one door, there is one door into Christ, and that is obedience to the gospel. And there is one window or light source in the ark, and there is one authority for us today, the New Testament.
No, these similarities continue. These are, not, these are just a few simple ones, but there are many others between the ark and the church today. You know, the ark did many things for Noah and his family that the church does for members in it today. Tonight, I'd like to look at four of those with you for just a moment. First, and probably the most obvious, is the ark granted those inside salvation from the judgment and the destruction that was happening on the outside. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 7, I'd like to read beginning in verse 17. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 17. It says, Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. I don't think he could be any clearer than he is. Everything outside the ark died. Again, from 1 Peter 3 and verse 20, the ark which in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Eight souls were saved, those that were inside the ark. The church also provides safety from the destruction that comes on those that are on the outside. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all those people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The saved are inside the church. Just as not a single person or thing on the outside could separate those inside the ark from their salvation, nothing external can separate the Christian from the salvation that they enjoy inside the body of Christ. Sadly, those outside of the church on the day of judgment will be lost, just like those who were not on the ark when the door was shut. Many want to believe that if we simply live a good life, take care of our families, and keep ourselves from the worldly things that are around us and are prevalent, that we will make it to heaven somehow, that God will look favorably upon us. The fact of the matter is we cannot be saved if we do not have the blood of Christ on our account to wash us of the sins that we have committed if we have not come through the door. The Apostle Peter clearly states this to the Jews in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. With salvation comes peace. Another blessing I believe they had inside the ark and that we have today in the church. We have a peace that exceeds the understanding of those in the world. Put yourself in the shoes of the eight souls on the ark for just a moment. You've been working for a hundred years to build this boat that God has commanded you to. For a hundred years, you've been trying to convince people to change their lives, to change and turn to a path that leads them toward God. But not a soul listens or heeds your teaching. 
Everyone around you probably now thinks you're crazy. And they're probably irritated for you talking to them and trying to convince them that they're wrong for a hundred years. But now you're on this boat after God has shut the door. And you hear the wrath of God being poured out on those souls outside. But where you're at, you have nothing to be afraid of. You have peace. The terror of the Lord is raining down, but you have calm. You have peace. Because you have put your faith and trust solely in the hands of your Creator and His Word. When we enter the ark of safety today, which is the church, we too have put our entire faith and trust in God and His Word to save us. We are no longer an adversary of God, but we are His child. And we are an heir of His eternal promise. The salvation we have in Christ is not physical, but it is far greater than that. It is spiritual and it is eternal. With that knowledge, we are able to face everything this world can throw at us and know that we still can have peace in this life, no matter what happens. Romans chapter 8, I'd like to read verses 31 through 39. Romans 8, beginning verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The world's going to throw everything and the kitchen sink at us. But the difference we have with those in the world is that we can have peace. We can have calmness. We can have a surety knowing that we have put our faith and trust in God. And that's why we must focus on things above and not on things of this earth. The things of this earth will cause us to lose faith in God and to think that God is somehow unable to, to keep His promise to us and keep us safe. But focusing on God and what He has done for us through the blood of Christ will allow us to remain at peace no matter what happens in this life. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6-8 through 8 says, "...be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving." Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Don't get bogged down in the here and now and the bad things happening around you. But think about eternity. 
Think about the hope that you have and the salvation you have from your sins. With salvation and peace also comes strength. I believe Noah and his family gained strength from a knowledge of their salvation and the peace they had knowing that they didn't have to fear the wrath of God that was happening on them outside the ark. But I believe also they gained strength from one another as they worked to build the ark and as they worked inside the ark during the flood. They could encourage, support, and help each other as they worked toward their common goal to get past this flood and on to their life afterwards. Today in the church, we have a great blessing in our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging, supporting, and helping us in our common goal, heaven. The Bible goes to great lengths to explain God's intent in designing the church as He did and the great strength we gain from our fellow laborers in the kingdom. I'd like to read from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. It says, And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. By ourselves, we can be swayed very easily. We can be tossed to and fro as the winds of the sea will do to a ship by itself on the sea. But when we are anchored steadfastly in Christ and we have a body around us supporting us and strengthening us, we can face those trials and maintain a course toward heaven. I want to encourage each and every one here tonight in whatever role you fill in the body of Christ, whether it's elder or deacon, or evangelist, or teacher, or saint. Fulfill your role to the best of your ability with zeal and dedication. And you, along with everyone else in the body, will gain the strength and encouragement needed to remain faithful to God. I hope we do not take for granted the great strength we have in the church here and how God has designed His body to work together. And how it needs every part supplying what it can so that we can be as strong as possible. You know, we come together on a normal basis, weekly, to worship God and to gain the needed strength. If you're not here, you're not being strengthened and you're not strengthening your brothers or sister in Christ, sisters in Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How can you be a blessing to your brother and sister 
if when you have the ability or the opportunity to be here, you choose not to be. You know, if you look at our elders, they have more than 500 years of experience between them. They have made it a priority in their lives to guide this flock under the authority of Christ. They have a vested interest in your success as a Christian. Look to them in their guidance, in their leadership. Ask them for help if you need it. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Not only do they love you, but they will also give an account for the flock that they have been entrusted with. Use that great blessing to your benefit. You know, when you come forward at church and you ask for the prayers of the church, or your name is on the board behind us, at this congregation alone, hundreds of saints are petitioning God on your behalf to bless you in the situation that you find yourself in. That's not to mention the thousands upon thousands of brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are concerned about you and your salvation and your spiritual well-being. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know, if the fervent prayer of one avails much, imagine the power in the collective petition of hundreds or thousands of saints on behalf of one another. Imagine what it can do for us. Finally, along with salvation, peace, and strength, the ark brought hope of a brighter future. Again, put yourself in the place of Noah and his family for just a moment. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. You know, there's wickedness in the world today, great wickedness, but not to the extent that there was in the time of Noah. They didn't have thousands upon thousands around the world that were faithful to God, trying to serve Him as we are here today. It was just them, those eight. I'm sure they had houses and livelihoods and many other temporal things that they didn't know what it would be like after the flood. They didn't know how long they'd be there. They knew that God was going to destroy the earth. But the ark gave them a hope of a new beginning. Hope of a new world without all the evil and wickedness that was all around them, that was so prevalent. A place where they could start fresh and raise up godly seed without all the wickedness that was before the flood. Armed with this hope, they were willing to give up everything they knew and pursue it with all that they had. You know, the church gives us an even greater hope. It gives us an eternal hope. The world offers sin and pleasure for a fleeting moment, but that moment fades all too quickly. Being human and living in the present, we often place too much importance on this temporal life, on the things that this world has to offer. And we want to hold on to them 
And we want to see how long we can keep them in our grasp. But this happens when we lose perspective on what really matters, that being eternity. You know, the lie that Satan tells us is that you cannot have enjoyment in this life if you're a Christian. If you pursue Christ, you'll have no fun. There will be nothing for you in this life. But the very opposite is true. Only when you give up your own will and pursue God with your whole heart will you find true joy and peace and strength. And on top of that, eternal life. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 says, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. This hope of eternal life anchors us in the true reality that is this life and allows us to remain joyful no matter what happens to us, no matter what Satan takes away from us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For we know that if our heavenly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This body will go back to dust. But we have an eternal home, not made with hands, waiting for us in heaven. This hope allows us to see past the temporary to the eternal and put our full confidence in seeing God on the other side of death. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We can see beyond the veil of death into the presence of God with the hope that we have being His children. We cannot lose sight of that. We cannot let that go for something temporary. As we've seen tonight, just as they did inside the ark during Noah's time, inside the body of Christ, the church, we have many, many blessings. We have salvation, we have peace, we have strength and hope, just to name a few of them. The world offers sin and pleasure for a fleeting moment, but that moment passes all too quickly. And if that is all the hope, if that is where you have placed your hope today, then you will be greatly disappointed when in eternity the door is shut and you are found outside the ark of safety. Today you have an opportunity to become a child of God. That door on the ark is still open for you today. And you can enjoy the blessings and many others that we've talked about tonight. You can enter through the door into the body of Christ by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, confessing that belief before this audience, repenting of your sins, and finally submitting to baptism for the remission of your sins. Then, with your hope firmly placed in eternity in the presence of God, you can truly have a joyful and peace-filled life on this earth. Revelation 2, verse 10 says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. The lesson is yours this evening. If there's one here that desires to put on Christ in baptism or desires the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.